with everything that we've been talking about or with what I talked about last week, I believe that God is calling us to so much more than sometimes we as his people understand or see or want to see in our lives. And I think sometimes that conflict comes from the insecurities that we, that are developed through the different areas of life that we're involved in, whether it be your friend group or your workplace, or sometimes it could be the church. Sometimes it could be your own, very own home where this conflict arises, where we're not sure if this is what we were made for or if there's more to come or if really the promises of God are gonna, are gonna kind of unfold in my life, but it's not really making sense with our current situation. I think we all can kind of find a situation in our lives that causes us to doubt that we were made for more than what we're experiencing. And it causes us to kind of live in this stalemate where we just kind of live stagnantly, not really sure how to take the limits off of our lives, not really sure where to commit, not really sure where to go, because we haven't really understood what God has made us for. And so if I wanted to focus on anything this morning, it's just to kind of redefine what you and I were made for what you and I were made for. Because I believe when we redefine and when we fully understand what we were made for, I believe taking the limits off will come so much easier. That gathering with God would be less of a condemnation like, oh, I don't know if I wanna go to church because I don't know if I wanna see that person or you know, get called out or I don't know, I just don't wanna, you know, I don't know if I wanna grow in small groups because I, it's too much of a risk. I don't know if I wanna go to the ends of the earth because it's too much of a risk. I believe that when we understand what we were truly made for, we will begin to just propel ourselves into the true identity that God has us, uh, had create, has created us for, right? right. Yeah. So I just want to share just a quick story. Um, you know, I had a friend in San Diego. He was kind of the, the you know, I went to San Diego Christian College and it's a Bible, small, small Christian college out in East County, San Diego uh, in a town called El Cajon. Uh, might as well not be San Diego, everyone would say, because it was the desert of El Centro and Arizona, basically. It wasn't as beautiful as the rest of San Diego. Um, but I had a friend there that, ha, uh, that was hired at a church, full-time worship pastor. You know, he had like the salary that like, wow, like when I graduate, I wanna be like this guy, you know? You know, I went to college for biblical studies and I was a worship leader, so this, is, this guy must be the, the guy that I'm aiming for. His position, his pedigree, his, his success is what I am aiming for. You know, and so we talk about it. I wanted to be mentored by this guy. I wanted to spend a lot of time with him because I thought some of his success would rub off on me, right? And so, and so I just, we meet up at coffee shops and we talk about the successes and failures of worship ministry and just doing ministry in church and even family. You know, this guy's married. He was an awesome father for, for his kids, awesome husband to his wife. He really set the example in all aspects of life. And I was just like, man, I wanna be like this guy. And then um, at the times that we'd sit down at, at, at any coffee shop, we just kind of, you know, talk about the successes and the failures. And sometimes we just kind of end up taking a few steps back. And after talking about all of that, and even in the midst of all the successes, sometimes we'd find ourselves asking, man, is, is this it? Is this really it? Like, are we, have we really made it? like full-time ministry, you know, salary, like, you know, like I get benefit, like everything is, have I really made it? 
Aren't I meant to do so much more than this? You know, and I could probably say that it wasn't until I truly knew what it meant to be in Christ that I realized that I was made for more. You see, I believe that sometimes uh, what comes in contention with, uh, with being in Christ is being in our career, being in our success, being in our social media, being in our social status. But it wasn't until I threw those away and really started to grasp onto the meaning of being in Christ that I started to understand what I was truly made for and that nothing, no Nothing that I'm involved in could take away what I was made for. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's this aspect, this truth about being in Christ that at this time I wasn't getting. I wasn't getting the fullness of what being in Christ meant. And God led me throughout my college, uh, my college life into this passage in Ephesians chapter one, and we're gonna, we're gonna read this together. Ephesians chapter one, <laughs> verses three through 14, and I'm praying that I'll be able to kind of communicate what God led me through in my journey and understanding what it means to be in Christ and the more that we were made for. So chapter one, verses three through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. Amen. That's a chunk of scripture though, right? It's like, what were you saying, Paul? So I don't know if you know, but this is the writer of this book is Paul. He's writing to a church in Ephesus and he's kind of reminding the church in Ephesus who they are and what they were made for. And so as I, as I kind of journeyed through this, I started to understand that like, man, Paul likes a lot of run-on sentences. He really likes commas, and he really likes saying everything in bullet point form. But it's not in bullet point form, so it doesn't really make sense to me at times when I read this. I probably had to read this thousands of times throughout my entire life or when I started becoming more uh, exposed to this verse uh, to really understand what Paul is trying to get at here. And it's crazy 
you know, because I believe that there are four things that Paul wants us to focus on. In the midst of all of that, I believe there are four things that he really wants us to know. And this is, this is what I actually, what I believe God wants us to know this morning. There are so many other things that you could say about this verse, but for me personally and from God to you, I believe that this is what he wants us to highlight this morning. The first thing I want to highlight is verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with what? What's the word? Every. Who has blessed us, who has blessed us with, can we say every together? Every. Who has blessed us. Read your Bible. Do you even have your Bible out? Shame on you. I'm just kidding. You know, we should probably put it up there. It'd probably be a little bit easier. Sorry. My fault. Dang it. Just screwing up. No. Who's blessed us with, again, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Thank you, Asa Slinker. You see, I believe that we were not just made to experience blessings here and there, and blessing when we are able to see it, but we were made for every blessing. Every blessing. This passage doesn't say some, it doesn't say the ones you see, it doesn't say the ones that he set before you, he says every spiritual blessing. You were made to be blessed in every way. You know, sometimes though I believe that blessing is measured by belief, Blessing can be measured by our willingness to believe in the blessing of God over our life or our willingness to believe in the promises that he's spoken over us. You know, blessing can be measured by belief and belief by conviction and at the end, conviction, um, conviction by encounter. And so really we can ask a ton of questions there. Have we encountered the promises of God? Have we been convicted by what he says, in, by what he says about us and thus do we believe do we believe that every blessing belongs to us? You know, in the ancient Greek, the word blessing translates into the word eulogy, in which that means to speak well of. You know, I believe that this means in this passage, Christ, in Christ, every spiritual blessing we receive is everything that God has spoken over us. Every spiritual blessing we receive is everything God has spoken over us, over you, has spoken through his word, has promised you what he has breathed life into is the blessing for us. And so I have a question that I wanna ask you guys this morning. Do you know what God has to say about you? Do you know what God has to say about you? Or what do you think God has to say about you? Because the way you answer that question, I think, will define your ability to be able to see every blessing and receive every blessing that God has for you. So do you know what God has to say about you? Because sometimes it's in competition with what the world says about you. But you know the world, although it's in competition with God and the enemy's in competition with God, it's in no contention with God. There's no, there's, there's no game. It's not even a game. They're just, you know, it's, it's already set. The battle's already won. So the world and everything that it says about who you are is in no contention with God. You know, I think, you know, in, in the history of football, 
everyone seems to say that there is no QB in contention with Tom Brady. You know, he's the greatest QB ever. He's his age, but he's still making it to the Super Bowl. I know some of you guys don't like Tom Brady. It's cool. I want the Rams to win today. So we're good. We're on the same page. If you guys are going for the Patriots, I'm so sorry because Jesus is on the Rams side. Okay? All right? For today. All right? And if they lose, I might quit. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but everyone says that, you know, Tom Brady is in no contention or no one is in contention with Tom Brady. And while that's, you know, kind of a weird analogy to compare Tom Brady to God, you know, I'm not saying that Tom Brady is God, but I'm just saying that in the same way, the world is in no contention with God. And the lies of the enemy is in no contention with the truth and the promises that God speaks over us. Um, you know, and I believe at the end of the day, you know, in this passage, what God wants to say is, I believe in you. He has good things to say about you. He's not talking about you behind your back. He's not talking about you with the angels in heaven saying, man, that follower of mine, he's just been slipping up. I just can't handle it. I just don't know what to do. Keeps yelling at his wife. Keeps, you know, keeps not washing the dishes. You know, kids not listening to the parents. Like, oh my gosh, I'm sick and tired of that guy. That's not what he's doing. That's definitely not what he's saying. In fact, I believe that scripture makes it clear that God even believes in us and he is proud of us and he is for us. He is for us. And the reason why I believe this and have been founded in this and really desire to live my life in this truth is because of what Paul writes next. And for the sake of time, I'm just gonna kind of summarize it. But in verse, uh, in verse chapter five, it says that in love he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. And I just wanna stop there for the sake of time. You were made to belong to his family. You were made to belong to his family. You were meant to be fathered by God. You see, um, I, I, it's kind of a funny statement, but I believe God had you on pre-order. God had your life on pre-order with all the things that we pre-order nowadays from shoes to albums to, I don't know, pre-order tickets to movies or whatever. God had your life on pre-order. He wanted to beat the crowd. In fact, he beated time for you. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. He had you on pre-order. This means that no matter your status, no matter the life that you lived because of his pre-order seal on your life, he still wants you. He still sealed you. You still belong to him because you were made to belong to his family. You who have said yes to Jesus, you who are here today stepping in, in faith and walking this life in Christ. You know, I believe, you know, that the world has kind of skewed the definition of a father. You know, I think with adoption as sons, I believe that God wants to father us. He wants to father us, but sometimes that definition and us being able to see God as a good father can be so affected by the way we've experienced fatherhood here on earth or the way that we have lacked the experience of true fatherhood here on earth. You know, US statistics say, and these are sobering statistics, and some of them even got grim, so I only chose four that I wanted to share with you guys. 43% of children in the US live without a father. 
43% of children in the U.S. live without a father. 85% of children in prisons or in youth in prisons grew up without a father. 85% of all youth that's in juvenile or in any type of, uh, like that are incarcerated, grew up without a father. Another stat is 85% of children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. There's so many, there's so much um, that happens because of a fatherless generation. And I don't know what your experience with your father was, um, and I'm not trying to highlight mistakes in earthly fatherhood because what we can't nearly be as good of a father as God can, but, but you know, it just kind of highlights sometimes the things that we experience on earth, these statistics, what we, what we were brought up with, what we were raised with, can sometimes leak into the way we see God as heavenly father. That in the ways that our, our earthly father have fallen short, we kind of subconsciously uh, uh, think that our heavenly father will fall short in the same way because of the brokenness that comes with fatherlessness. You know, and although this highlights the issues of how we can be better dads, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, if there's anything I wanna be in the next month, is I wanna be a good dad. I wanna be a good dad for our son Israel. I want to pursue him, I want to love him in the same way that, that God pursues after and loves his people. I want to be able to be unconditional and selfless and, and just, just really guide him in the ways of the Lord. But you know, at the end of the day, sometimes my flesh gets in the way and the, this whole sin issue with the world causes us to see fatherhood in such a wrong way. And because of experience, it's hard to believe it, that God can truly be a good father. But you see in this passage, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. He even knew what you were going to do before you did it. He knew the sin you were gonna commit. He knew the life you were gonna live. He knew every broken thing in your life, but he still kept you on pre-order. You see, God as a heavenly father loves you so much that no matter what you did or what you do and the things that you haven't even done yet, he still wants you to join his family in the adoption as sons and as daughters. In love, he predestined us. In love, he predestined us. God desires to be a father to the fatherless. He desires to turn those statistics upside down. He wants to father the fatherless, to chase his children down no matter what the cost. And he shows what it costs in my next point. My next point is found in verse seven. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Jesus redeemed us through his blood. You see, in this truth, I believe that Paul's saying that we were made to be pure and whole. We were made to be pure and whole. If you think about it, yes, yeah, sin entered into the world, and because of sin, we are all born in sin. But with the way God created the entire earth and Adam and Eve, he created them pure and whole. 
And so our original intention, our, our original intended purpose is to be pure and whole. We were made for it, purity and wholeness. And just mind you here, because we could kind of find ourselves in a little bit of a, of, a, of a tiff, if you will, a little bit of a tiff with the conflict of striving for, the, for these things, striving for purity and striving for wholeness. You see, I don't think it's a call for us to strive for purity and wholeness, but it's rather the response of God in our brokenness to make us pure and whole. That in the riches of God's grace, he offers this in setting forth his son to unite all things is what Paul says in this passage. So at the end of the day, I believe purity and wholeness isn't attained, it's received. Purity and wholeness isn't attained. It's not built. You can't train yourself up to be more pure or more whole. It's received. Purity and wholeness is received through the fullness of God's son, Jesus. So Christ in our redemption and in our adoption, what does this passage say later? In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In being adopted sons of God, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we receive also on top of what is already absolutely amazing, an inheritance. And he doesn't really define what this inheritance is here, but I believe that through scripture we could kind of imply because it's the same author that Paul is saying this. In Romans chapter eight, verses 15 through 17, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This adds another layer to every blessing that God gives us. Sorry, I spit. As if it wasn't enough that we were adopted into the family of God. He calls us co-heirs with Christ. You know what this means? This means that we were made to be royalty. We were made to belong to the kingdom of God. We were made as royal co-heirs in Christ. This is who we are. This is the inheritance that we receive. We receive and inherit the right to to the kingdom of God. Co-heirs with Christ. Do you know what that means? Our road is sharing God's glory in Christ in heaven for all of eternity. And Paul talks about that through all of scripture, that when we share with his sufferings, don't worry about when you share sufferings now because in a little while you will share in his glory because you will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this is who we are now. You know, and the world may have forced you to believe that you can inherit nothing other than what's written on a bill or deed that's written to you when someone, whoever wrote that bill or deed dies. But God wants you to know this morning that in Christ, you inherit so much more. You inherit so much more than what's written on the bill or deed because what God writes on the bill and deed, oh man, you best read this. It's eternal promises right here. Eternity but now belongs to us because of what we inherit in Christ Jesus. We inherit the kingdom of God. And the last thing I want to talk about this morning is kind of uh, tagged, if you will, um, by Paul in this passage. 
in verse, um, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he adopts you as sons. He redeems you with his blood. He gives you an inheritance and he gives you a guarantee. He gives you a guarantee through the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire uh, full possession of it? Um, It's so amazing when you think about this because I believe that we, you and I, were made to live confident and powerful. We were made to live confident with the assurance of who we are in Christ. And so God sends his Holy Spirit to fill us up with power and confidence and might so that we can be confident of the guarantee of our inheritance that we really are royalty. You see, the promises earth gives are ones that sometimes you can never rely on if you think about it. Your mirror, social media, the amount of likes you have, your employer, you know, the, the, your diet plan. I don't know if you guys are still on your New Year's resolution, but I already dropped off mine. So, <laughs> it was to, uh, never mind, okay. <laughs> But the promises earth give you are ones that we can never really truly rely on. But because of the promise of the Holy Spirit, we could walk in confidence of who we are in Christ because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You see, God, God wanted to, to not only just adopt us, but he wants to seal us. He wants to mark us with the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't want us to just do it alone. He wanted to accompany his redemptive work with power over your life and with confidence over your life so you can rest assured that you belong to, he- to Heavenly Father. He seals us through his Holy Spirit. You see, in Jesus, you know, he also promises that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we would receive power from on high. You know, that's a sermon in and of itself, but I'll just keep it there. We were made to live powerfully. And so if I was made for this, how can I bring this into my everyday life? You know, and as I was kind of on this journey throughout college reading this passage and it was becoming more real in my life, I, I just started to understand that, man, if this is who I am, If this is who I am, then this is the me I bring everywhere I go. This is the me I bring everywhere I go. I know I've referred to it two weeks in a row, but I'm gonna refer to it again. Just think of it as the greatest showman. Watch out, because here I come. I'll be marching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared. I forgot the rest of the lyrics. (laughs) This is me, is what the song is called. It's amazing, you should listen to it. It's so the gospel. They don't even know it. I don't think they were believers writing it, but I think it's the gospel. Oh my gosh. You know, because this is what God wants for us, to live confidently, to know who we are, not just in our flesh, but in our spirit, that deep down inside we would live in the conviction of who we are in Christ. That God speaks, that what God speaks is for me, that I am a son, I am loved, chosen, valued, and redeemed, that I am royalty made for heaven that I have witness and power through the Holy Spirit. You see, this means that no matter what season of life you're in, what trial you're facing, what the enemy is using to use against you, uh, you are of royal bloodline now. 
You belong to royalty, and the victory of Jesus flows through your veins. The victory of Christ flows through your veins now. This is who you are. This is who you rep. You know, we've come, if you come from Vallejo, people are always asked, who you repping, who you repping? You know, I don't know, whatever. Who you repping? I'm repping Jesus, bro. His blood flows through my veins. Like he redeemed me. I owe him my life. You know, he got my back, I got his. His blood flows through my veins, bro. <laughs> nah, but seriously, the redemption of Christ and the victory and all of its implications are who you are now. It flows through your veins. So no matter, so whatever you're facing now is nothing compared to the surpassing worth of the inheritance that we have in Christ. God predestined you to have the capacity of heaven. He made you for more. He made you for more. Let's stand together. You know, in all of this, I think about the book of Psalms and David and how he's kind of the prime time example of what it looks like to kind of live in the conflict of how to live in Christ, even though Jesus hadn't come yet, how to live in God, in the presence of God. Because, you know, throughout the Psalms, he was always talking about like, man, I'm really depressed. Man, God's presence is so good. You know, it was all this constant kind of back and forth of, of what it meant to, to be in the presence of God. Uh, and I think about Psalm 23, you know, and how he was kind of in this, in this conflict. But it's, it's a song that we sung earlier. Goodness of God. How does it go? <laughs> Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Sorry, it's a new song. Um, Your goodness, his goodness is running after, is running after uh, us, all of us. And so next time, you know, because of who I am made in Christ, next time you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil for he is with you and his rod and his staff, they will comfort you. And he will always prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He will always anoint your head with oil. In fact, he will crown you with the glory of Christ and remind you that you are royalty so that surely goodness and mercy could follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus.